Hello, everybody. It's uh, that time of the week again for your favorite podcast. This is Location Weekly. It's episode number 551. We're recording live on January the 11th. And uh, Abriana, how are you doing? I'm good. I have emerged from a holiday season, you know, so I'm like digging out, starting to get back into the rhythm of things. Both of my kids are back in school as of today, which is very exciting. Uh, they were home for like over a month. So we are very happy uh, to be able to maybe have some sort of balance <laughs> back in the house. And we have cleared, you know, uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, all the festivities. Then I had uh, what we celebrate, Three Kings Day, and then my oldest birthday. And so now I'm like, oh, I'm ready to take the Christmas. Well, you're time. not quite done yet because you have a, a husband's birthday coming up. I do, but uh, but you know, like there's less of a, I don't know, I have a little bit of a buffer and there's less of like all the extra stuff you got to do, you know, with kids, you got to make it special and yeah. it's exhausting and I yeah. can't keep up all these, all these holidays and things. So yes, um, I'm feeling like I can breathe. It's nice. So yeah. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Similar, uh, you know, it's, uh, work's been busy lately. Um, my kids, uh, uh, the younger one, he's uh, still online. They've, they've all the schools have gone online here, uh, but they go back in person next Monday um, on the seventeenth. So that'll be good. My daughter's already back at university uh, in residence, but but online. So she's she decided she needed to still be away from home, but do it <laughs> online in her own place. So I'm like, okay, well you're paying for it anyway, so you might as well yeah. be there. So um, yeah, so that's going okay, and. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, like there's I, I feel like we're we're back in the full flow of business and and work and uh you know, I think the only thing that's kind of a little bit um disappointing is I was planning to be at NRF uh for the uh retail conference in New York. Chose not to go just because cases are, you know, sort of all over the place and you know, travel's not sort of highly recommended these days. So um kind of left that and I, uh, I understand the numbers were quite low uh, in terms of attendance uh, this year overall. A lot of uh, vendors pulled out, same for CES and so on. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Everybody was going. We were actually attending this year, and then last minute, everybody slammed on the brakes, you know? Just... Yeah. Vegas is hard enough, like, healthy. I mean, can you imagine going, being sick? <laughs> yes, 100%. So, all right. Well, let's jump into our uh, our show for this week. Four stories as usual. Um, one uh, to kick it off, right in sort of the heart of our uh, our industry. So I'll let uh, Rihanna start us. Yeah. So um, this is a new partnership that's happening now between Catalina and Place IQ. And you know, I like this. This makes this makes complete sense to me. You've got um, Catalina that's going to use Place IQ's fire hose visits product. So it'll enhance their measurement um, and audience creation and analytics offerings. Um, so this will include metrics uh, like visitation metrics across the country, um, you know, place metrics, open hours, uh, multi-use properties, things of that nature. And Place IQ is also going to be extending um, their POI database, point of interest database, to include over 30,000 custom locations. Uh, to help support some of Catalina's growing out-of-home business and place-based media services that they offer. 
And, um, you know, most of us know Catalina for their deterministic shopper transaction data, um, shopper panel data. So this is a big one probably for CPG, right? Um, and, you know, just enable those advertisers to reach those more precise audiences. So looking to optimize those offline foot traffic, who's visited what stores, you know, across all these different channels and, and show that ROI on brand uh, campaign performance. So I like this partnership. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it, it makes me think about how, you know, very, very uh, specific to how we are running a lot of our campaigns at Samsung ads and um, makes me think about like the future. So it's kind of, it's good to see that there's still exciting things uh, besides, you know, people shutting down or getting eaten up in the location business. Um, so excited for, you know, Duncan and his team partnering with Catalina. I think this is a big deal for them. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe I'll have an update. I'll reach out and, and check in with him and hear what he has to say about it. But overall, I think this is, uh, you know, a positive offering, um, just further enhancing what Catalina is doing for, for the brands that they work with. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a strong partnership, you know, two well-established players uh, in the industry. You know, I was talking to um, a partner of ours uh, yesterday uh, based in Mexico, and, you know, they, uh, you know, they work with a lot of um, CPGs and a lot of, you know, grocery retailers and, and folks like that. And, um, you know, we were talking about sort of the power of location data and, and looking at visits and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, I think when you can blend, uh, you know, the traffic metrics, the visit metrics together with shopper information, whether that's, you know, transactions or, or you know, uh, in terms of volume or, you know, actual uh, dollar uh, amounts or things like that, and start to look at conversion rates and, and things, um, you know, that give you real insights into what's going on, not just, you know, how many people were there, but, you know, how many transactions were there against how many people were there and what was the average transaction size and all those kinds of things become, you know, incredibly valuable uh, to an industry, you know, in terms of better informing, you know, where to focus ad targeting. And I think the custom uh, location piece, you know, around the 30,000 locations you mentioned, I think that's interesting too if it's focused around the at-home space because you know we've talked a lot about you know the need for more measurement there and, and a lot of you know out-of-home companies have announced partnerships and solutions so i think that uh, that sort of just falls into the uh you know sort of the mix and the trend of of, of where things are going these days so i like it yep all right we're going to jump over to japan now so uh, a Kuala Lumpur-based company called Matching Advisor Press, which is a, essentially a dating agency, uh, has come up with a new way to, um, you know, market and promote their services. Uh, they've uh, released a vending machine. Yes, a vending machine. Uh, and this is happening in, uh, in Tokyo at, uh, in, their, in the Kamata neighborhood. Uh, so if you're in Kamata or you can get to Kamata, there's a vending machine out there for you uh, if you're in the dating uh, world at, at the moment. And so you go up to this vending machine and it's got cans in it like a, you know, a, a soda vending machine does. Uh, pink colored cans represent women, beige colored cans represent men. The cans include uh, the prospect's age on them. Uh, each can costs uh, 9,000 uh, yen or which is roughly about $78 um, and um, uh, contains a voucher for an interview with a advisor from the dating agency 
Um, and then the agency uh, can also arrange a three-hour dinner date uh, for potential matches for you. Um, so it's kind of a, an interesting way to promote their matchmaking, you know, services. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, I guess if you're in the, in the business of this and you're in the market for this and you're going to use an agency and you're going to pay the fee anyways, this might be an, a, you know, a, a different way to kind of, you know, sort of get some exposure to that or for them to kind of build a little bit more brand awareness. Um, I, I'm a bit skeptical that it's going to drive, you know, big adoption for them, but I think it, it's, it's niche and it's, it, it's different. It's fun. Um, you know, and if they can get enough press around it, it, it may drive some interest for them. Um, and then on top of that, they also, uh, you know, so, so obviously they, they, they cover their service fee and, and, you know, they can arrange this, this dinner date. And if, if it turns into the, the couple ends up getting married, they also then charge a success fee, uh, uh, for that, which is part of their normal, uh, offering as well. Um, so that's, uh, kind of interesting. So what are your thoughts on this? Oh, I, you know, I think this is funny. Like, I think that um, from an attention grabbing or like you said, brand awareness, it, it's, it's very like quirky and it's entertaining, but the idea of placing myself on a can inside of a vending machine, um, you know, to be bought for like, what did you say? $75 or whatever yeah. is a little, yeah. um, I don't know. It's a little awkward. I don't know that I would really want to um, have my information or anything there. <laughs> um, and I and I think that it's like really funny that they charge a success fee if you get married. I mean, that's also funny. Um, but I have to give it to them for you know being creative and and thinking about you know how can they advertise this in a new way. I, I don't know. You know, I, there might have been other options in terms of like location or matching people based on location or based on, you know, any other types of, of data, like movement data or, you know, interests and behaviors, things like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I said, it, it's creative and we're here talking about it. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think what you just described in terms of the data side, you, you know, there's lots of apps obviously out there that that do that and, and use, yeah. you know, location data and things like that. I think, you know, what's interesting to me about this is it's the exact opposite, right? This is a complete analog, you know, versus digital, you know, sort of play, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's tied to a specific neighborhood. So the location is is physical in that sense. And, um, you know, and there's nothing digital about it. It, it. It's other than it's a vending machine that you're, you're, you know, you're, you're putting, you know, money into and you're getting something out of. Um, but, uh, you know, there's no information. There's no, you know, sort of data that's being massaged or manipulated here. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's interesting. And I think probably we'll get some, uh, some, some press and some attention and, and, and maybe some, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see if down the road, there's a follow-up story to say, like it worked and, you know, 12 couples got married because of this vending machine. That'll be interesting. So. I know, right? <laughs> How did you meet? Well, vending machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, makes for a good story. All right, let's go over to Seattle and they are opening an NFT museum that will be launching this weekend. So if you are in Seattle, you can actually um, go to seattlenftmuseum.com and purchase tickets. Um, but, you know, this is pretty interesting. They, 
They'll have art on exhibit there. And obviously if you have been living under a rock, um, NFTs or non-fungible tokens, uh, you know, it's digital art. It's going to be living on the blockchain and it will be displayed within this museum. So it's on loan from uh, artists all around the world, creators, galleries, collectors, and um, you know, they're going to be displayed on these high resolution, really large screens. And you know, they're just trying to capture, I guess, the imagination, provide entertainment for first-time viewers. Um, so, you know, this digital asset is, is used to authenticate these works of art um, and, and ownership, uh, or really just about anything. So the applications for any type of digital art are, are really, um, you know, the possibilities are endless. We've seen, you know, sports getting into this. We've seen music getting into this. You know, I think that this is just the very beginning. We're just scratching the surface here, but, um, you know, it, it, it's pretty cool. Like I have, I haven't really had a, a high interest in things like cryptocurrencies and, and that as much as I am interested in NFTs. So this is something that I'm like, I actually do want to buy a piece of, you know, art. <laughs> um, I think that would be really fun. Um, so it obviously will make it easy to acquire, to store, sell, and obviously again, validate that authenticity. So I was thinking of, um, you know, our friend Mark, Michael over at DevHub, CEO over there, and he's always like creating different things and he's always putting together those like life creations. And, um, and so maybe we could get some NFTs of his life creations and he can go uh, take them over to the NFT museum since he's there locally. Yes. <laughs> What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I, I think Mark Michael's the perfect guy to be uh, plugged into this this thing. So um, yeah. if you're listening, Mark, you know, go go get your uh, your art into uh, into this museum. But yeah, what I like about this is is obviously it's a hot topic right now. Everybody's doing something. All the brands you know we've talked about are you know sort of figuring out their NFT strategy right now um, and how they generate revenue from it. But I think from a general consumer uh, public point of view. I love I like this story because it, it's it's creating a space where people can go and learn and interface and connect with NFTs and understand what they are, understand that it's it you know it's it's a new form of art uh, you know in in how they're positioning it here anyways, um, and I think you know I, I I see sort of more mainstream galleries starting to get on board with these types of digital exhibits. Uh, and things like that as well, um, because I think there's, you know, there's there's so there's such a uniqueness to, you know, the, you know, the the article, whatever it is, right? If it's like a you know a special shoe that you know, print or something or, you know, whatever, um, you know, and people because it, it's it's not physical. Um, it, it's a lot easier to sort of transport, you know, in that sense, right? You don't have to move the item from, you know, somebody's house in some place to, you know, a museum. You can digitally display it, um, and it can be on loan from anywhere. So I think I think that, you know, in a in a pandemic, you know, world that we all live in right now, I think this is the ideal way to sort of get people exposed to the world of NFTs and. You know, having a sort of a place that's curating and bringing them all together makes sense to me. So I, I'm quite interested in, in, in what they're doing there. And I, I see many more of these types of NFT museums or, like I said, mainstream galleries and, and museums getting into this type of uh, space. So 
Yeah. Well, you know, what's kind of interesting is, you know, Samsung has, well, a lot of different televisions, but they have one specifically called the frame that is made to display art. And then at CES, they just made this announcement about how they'll have this new NFT specific, like, um, TV feature that's going to be rolling out this year. So, you know, there's lots of people are getting into this and there's different ways to be a part of it. So um, I have a feeling we'll be talking a lot more about about this area of growth over the year. <laughs> cool. All right. So our final story now, uh, another uh, longtime LVMA member here, Here Technologies. Uh, has launched uh, at CES, they made an announcement around their new uh, indoor mapping as a service um, solution uh, and a partnership with SBB uh, AG. Um, so basically, uh, they've launched this sort of one-stop shopping you know, system for indoor mapping. Uh, businesses, you know, let's say who have you know, stores or physical footprints, uh, you can submit to here um, sort of uh, PDFs or CAD drawings or you know whatever uh, format you've got in terms of your your physical layout, uh, and then here produces you know sort of an indoor map based on that. Um, it's all uh, provisioned through a self-service uh, portal and content management tool, uh, and then the maps can be directly tied into the here uh, SDK. For integration with other here, you know, solutions like their routing and their um, wayfinding solutions and other things. Um, so I think there's, um, you know, for me, what I like about this is, is that, you know, obviously there's lots of indoor mapping and indoor positioning, you know, solutions on the market. But I like that they're kind of making it very, very easy, very self-service. You know, upload your files. You know, they can help you with, you know, updating them. You know, over time after that initial uh, setup and so on. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And then um, as part of the announcement, they talked about a pilot project with uh, SBB, which is a Swiss uh, railway operator, um, and uh, in Zurich at the central train station where they worked with here on a proof of concept using this platform. Um, and so they, they were able to deploy uh, augmented reality-based navigation to help users figure the, out their, their path and their way around the train station. Um, and how to get to their connections and things like that. And I think that's a, a very practical application because, you know, I've, I've traveled throughout Europe on, on trains, you know, uh, before. And, you know, it's not your, it's not like going to your regular, you know, subway station. You know, you, do, you, you, you know, you're there, you don't really know, you don't speak the language, whatever. You don't know where you are. You don't know how to get from, you know, one platform to the other platform or so on. And so I think digital tools that can help you wayfind and navigate you know, based on indoor maps, um, become quite powerful there. And so, you know, they, uh, they were able to kind of use that. And so I, so I think um, there's a lot of power in a, in a system like this and a solution like this. And when you can tie it to, you know, those types of wayfinding solutions and those types of applications, it becomes, you know, incredibly practical and useful for, for the end consumer as well. Yeah, I love this application. I think it's great, um, you know, being new-ish in New York and, and trying to like navigate coming from like one train line into Grand Central and switching and all of that. You know, there's like, I use three different apps, like one for a ticket, one for a schedule, one for like maps, you know, and, and then um, each train line has its own app. So it's, it's super 
confusing. And I, and I love the idea that this is an SDK that can be baked into other applications. So I think that that would be really great, you know, to be able to, especially in a place like Grand Central, where even if you speak the language, there's a lot of like different levels and places to go and it can be super confusing. And when you're trying to, you know, move and go quickly, um, it's definitely something that could be helpful. I also think this would be very beneficial when you think about like airport, Atlanta airport specifically, you know, that can be overwhelming for people who don't go through there a lot. Um, and, and then you have like other applications like large malls and shopping centers and things of that nature. But specifically when you are traveling and make, like you mentioned, don't speak the language. Um, I think this is a great, uh, you know, add-on service. And, you know, we've, we've heard from here for so many years and they just keep iterating and, and producing, you know, interesting wayfinding technology. So I like yeah, that. Yeah, and I think like, you know, just the last comment, like I think for me is despite the fact that, you know, the pandemic really sort of, killed CES um, and NRF as we were talking about at the top of the show. I mean, like what, there was 50,000 people, I think, uh, you know, at most at CES this year, uh, from what I understand. Um, and so many vendors pulled out. Like the reality is, is a lot of these companies still made announcements, uh, you know, had them lined up and still, you know, made announcements like this. And you, you talk about Samsung's announcements and, and so on. So, so I think that, you know, despite the fact that the, the physical show didn't happen in the way that you know we normally would like to see it and participate in it and you know the speakers and so on and so forth uh the reality is is these companies are are moving forward they are progressing they are you know iterating on their roadmaps and and uh and, and you know bringing you know new things to market and i think uh you know we will we'll see a lot more of that this year and and um you know whether or not it's it's announced in person or or you know it, it's announced virtually but um you know, I, I think this this offering from here is uh, is is solid. So uh, I, I expect that they're going to do well. Yep. Good so stuff. That's, that's our show for this week. You've been listening to episode number five hundred and fifty one of Location Weekly. We thank you as always for your time. Uh, please reach out if you have story ideas or questions or feedback for us. We would love to have that. And we'll see you next week for another show. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Mm -hmm.